0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Daniel chapter 1 as we dig here into this new series. And today we're starting this new series um, on the book of Daniel. We're going to be working through uh, much of this book and, and this series, we're, we're calling it Courage Under Fire. And uh, this is, I believe, just a very timely series for where we are at in where we are living here in 2018. We will see in this study how Daniel and his three friends live so faithfully for the Lord, living in a, in a very secular, very foreign, very godless, even very demonic environment, and yet how they stayed and they remained strong. Daniel provides for us this book and the story of his life and his three friends, probably one of the clearest examples that we have in the word of God about what it means to live a life without compromise. And we will see in our own lives, and, and, and it doesn't take very long to see areas where it's so easy for us to, to start to compromise in our own lives or or um, in, in areas of business in relationships, in and relationships and conversations. And here we see an example of speaking the truth and living the truth and dividing deciding and determining to live for God no matter what. Here, Daniel served for 70 years in a foreign place, in a foreign palace, with integrity, without compromising his character. And because of this, they, he had far-reaching results. God used him in a mighty way. Daniel and his three friends, as we're going to see, were forced from their home. They were just teenagers, probably anywhere from 14 to 16 years old, taken 500 miles to Babylon, A foreign land. But you know what? Though they went into Babylon, Babylon would not get into them. They determined to stay strong. We may not be forced from our homes at this point in our history here in Canada, yet there are believers who are being persecuted for their faith. Yet the pressures that we face here in North America may even be at times more dangerous and more subtle. The battle to fit in, materialistic desires and and the influence of our culture and media can slowly be wearing us down and we're living lives of compromise. and And as a result of that, lacking the power and the joy and the victory that is available for us. So how do we live in a world, in a world and not allow the world to get into us? Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not allow, I like how one um, paraphrase puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And yet, the pressure is difficult to assimilate into worldly values and thinking. And we need to be checking our the way that we think and the decisions we make, always in light of the Word of God, because we can compromise just in little ways to begin with and become major ways down the road. Lord willing, in this series, we're going to look at some of the things that are happening in our nation and in our world. I believe that there is trouble on the horizon in some very real ways in, for Christians and for the church here in North America, and in particular here in Canada. Pressures to conform to what the government would want or what society is saying. We're seeing that even currently now in regards to government grants for summer jobs. And and just, it seems that there is a pressure, a mounting pressure for churches and organizations that are not willing to affirm the government's position on abortion or sexual orientation and gender identity expression, won't be able to apply for or receive these government grants. And folks, I believe this is just the beginning. As we were in as I was at this elder retreat with elders and the church plant pastors in, in our discussions that we were having even this past week, uh, we were looking and hearing about some of the things coming down the pipe, so to speak, for us as churches, thinking that it will just be a matter of time, and it may not be very long that we could be losing our charity statuses, that we could clergy could use their could lose their uh, housing allowance, a gift that the government provided for clergy many years ago, but once again could be losing that. And that churches, if once again, not willing to kind of tow the government line, could start to pay property taxes and may even go back a number of years and get property taxes from years back. This could really sink a lot of churches. This could be a very interesting time that we're going into. Then this past week, I also realized that one of our very respected harvest churches, a larger harvest church here in Canada, a number of years ago had all of their pastors turn in their marriage license. They no longer perform marriage ceremonies, or civil ceremonies, so to speak. They have, again, because of the mounting problems and the issues that we're facing when it comes to performing marriages that don't align up with Scripture. And and so what they are doing, are performing, and since that time, they've performed 75 to 100 Christian ceremonies, but the civil ceremony, the the, the civil part, the government part, the official part, when it comes in the government eyes, are being done in another way, and it's a very Uh, I believe it's a very uh, honoring way uh, way that they're doing this with the government and and fulfilling the legal obligations, but also standing firm on the Word of God. So how do we live? How are we to live? How do we live with courage under fire? How do we live in this day that we're living in? And and in order to kind of set this series up, we need to look at the book of Daniel, but before that, we have to look at the context to see a little bit about what is going on and just a little bit of a refresher when it comes to some of the history of the nation of Israel and what was going on. And so in order for us to understand Daniel, we're going to back up a few hundred years and, and we're going to kind of start at the time of King. David. His son that took over the throne was who? King Solomon, And after that came Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, there was a whole tax issue, a various thing that went on. The people rebelled, and the nation of Israel ended up splitting into two kingdoms. And I think there's even a picture of this on the screen. You see the north kingdom uh, consisting of, of 10 tribes in the north called Israel, and then the southern tribe there in Judah uh, it was called Judah, and that is down near, uh, and also where you see the city of Jerusalem. And, and so it was a divided kingdom, 10 tribes in the north, two in the south. And God had told the people when he had brought them into this land, centuries before that, he told them, he says, if you obey my word and you follow my commands, you will be blessed. If you don't, if you resist, if you rebel, if you follow after other gods, you will suffer and judgment will come upon you. And God warned the Israelites through the prophets, through his word, by his own voice, to turn back, to come back towards God. And if not, they would face destruction. And after a long history of God's grace and his mercy, history, uh, and a long history of disobedience and rebellion away from God and away from his, his word and from his laws, and after some very terrible kings in these northern and southern kingdoms, the North Kingdom fell in 722 to the Assyrians, they were the world ruling empire of the day. Down in Jerusalem, the, the, the downfall was a little bit slower, but down in Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah remained for about another 120 years. And in 605, the Babylonians came, and they replaced the Assyrians as kind of the world uh, superpower of the time. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of the Babylonian, or sometimes referred to uh, as the Chaldean people. And he came, and he took them into captivity. He came into Jerusalem And this is where we're going to pick up and we're going to read all of Daniel chapter 1. I trust you'll follow along in the word as we look towards what is taking place here in this passage. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the, people of, the Israel, people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace." and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked, that the, asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear "'My lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, "'for why should he see that you are in worse condition "'than the youths who are of your own age? "'So you would endanger my head with the king.' "'Then Daniel said to the steward "'from whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned "'to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "'Test yourselves for ten days. "'Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink.' Then let our our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were of better appearance and fatter in flesh than all of the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As far as these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, among, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishniel, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, chapter one here is just the start of Daniel's faithful servant as a teenager. A teenager, and he ended up serving, it's believed, 70 years here for the king. And the interesting thing is he outlived his captors, he outlived a number of kings, and with integrity and uncompromising character, his life had far-reaching results. One of the last, and perhaps one of the greatest achievements, was him being able to work alongside others to negotiate the release of the captives so they could return to the land of Israel. Talk about courage and strength and God using a young man in mighty and great ways. In this book, I encourage you to write this down. We're going to see in the book of Daniel two overriding themes that keep coming as you read through, especially the first six chapters. Two overriding themes. First of all, God is in control of all things. God is in control. And second of all, God will deliver the faithful who follow him. Daniel and his three friends demonstrate to us how we can live a life of courage under fire and how we can live with courage and end up experiencing God's blessing in powerful, even supernatural ways. And these accounts that took place thousands of years ago, the lessons that we can learn from this book are so relevant. And today we see that these young men early on in their captivity, early on living as foreigners and strangers in, a, in, in the land of Babylon, settled some important issues in their life. These young men, probably as I said, in their, in their teenage years, determined that to live a life of no compromise. No matter what the cost would be. And because of that, God blessed them in some incredible, incredible ways. And so this morning, as we work through just a a part of of the first chapter here, the plan was to work through the entire uh, first chapter of Daniel and yesterday in the, I think it was in the Saskatoon airport, there was a delay because of flights and and, and different things, a snowstorm in Calgary where I had a layover, there was these delays. Looking through this passage, I thought we're just going to work through the first point, but I'm going to give you both points, but next week is really part two of what we're going to be looking at here um, over the next two weeks. And in order for us to live lives with, with courage, strength, God's power, God's blessing, even in difficult times, even when we are being forced and pressured into things we may not necessarily like or agree with, whether that's with our employers or whether that's in conversations with families, family members, we are to live with courage under fire. And the first thing here is we must trust in the sovereignty of God in all things. Trust in the sovereignty of God in all things. And second of all, we determine to live a life of no compromise, no matter what. To live a life of compromise. And that's that's the part we're going to get to next week. And this is where we are going to kind of start in digging into this amazing book. But that first declaration that we want to concentrate on here this morning is we trust in the sovereignty of God in all things. Now, what are you talking about? Some of you might think, what are you talking about the sovereignty of God? What does that mean? Well, this theme comes up over and over again, and so it's important that we understand this. But we see the sovereignty of God show up right in the very first two verses, and we'll look at that once again in a moment. But sovereignty, so you understand this, means that God is in complete control of all all things. He is in sovereign control over the world, the universe, over everything that has happened past, present, and future. He is never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never saying, oh, that didn't go so well. Didn't see that coming. He's never at a loss. Psalm 136, verse 6, I encourage you to write down that, that reference and look it up. Psalm 136, verse 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And we see the sovereignty of God very clearly here in the first couple of verses. Look here in verse 1. In the third year... Of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So, verse 1 gives us a historical perspective. This is what's written up in the history books, this is what's happening in the physical realm, in the historical realm. And we must understand that Nebuchadnezzar was bright, powerful, brilliant leader. You're not going to be the world's superpower without having some brains. And he was a very smart leader. He carried off the nation's wealth and and taking gold and silver, items from their temple, from the temple of God, and he placed those items in his own temple, in, in the temple of Marduk, the name of one of their gods. What happened to Yahweh? What happened to the Israel's God? Basically, as this was happening, people would have been looking and saying, look, our God is more powerful. Marduk wins. The God of Israel, he loses. Our God is number one. He's allowed this to happen. He's almighty, he's all-powerful. This is what it's looking like. And let's face it, Nebuchadnezzar, he was no slouch. He, he was the king of the, the world empire of the time, and he knew it was one thing to take the gold and the silver, but he even knew there was something more valuable, and that is the nation's youth. Let's take those from royal families, from nobility. Let's take the smart, the good-looking, the influential, and let's bring them and let's indoctrinate them. Let's take them into our culture, into our environment, and we will show them the Babylonian way. And next week we're going to see how the enemy today is desiring to indoctrinate and get hold of our children, of our young people in some incredible ways. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar could do and he was a man who worshiped the devil. He was a devil worshiper. And the same thing is happening today. Our devil has a plan to indoctrinate our youth and to to cause God's people to compromise or want us and tempt us to compromise. And so here he takes Daniel, his three friends, along with no doubt a host of other young Israelite teenagers taking the nation's brightest and the best, and he's going after them. That's the historical perspective of what's going on here. But verse 2, if you look at that, gives us the other side of this story, the spiritual, the heavenly, the theological, God's perspective of what's really going on here in this passage. Look at verse 2, and it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. This was all God's doing. God was allowing this to happen. And it's vital that we recognize the hand of God that was at work in this situation, and the hand of God is at work in every situation, in every detail of our lives, of our world. God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what is happening. God warned them after centuries of God, the prophets, calling them to repent and to turn back to him. He turned them over to the Babylonians. He was desiring to, exp- to, to extend his grace and his mercy and, and, and that they would come back to him, but they wouldn't. And so he finally said, you want idols? You want idolatry? You want to intermarry? There you go. You lose my protection. And the Babylonians came in. And I'm sure that Daniel and his three friends and the others, as they're taken captive, that map that we saw there a few moments ago of the captivity would have been a a, a trek of at least 500 miles. Could you imagine being a teenager, being ripped out of your home, being taken into captivity? I remember as a kid hearing a story about how um, when in Second World War, how the... um, how the enemy would turn out the power to the city and then they would attack the city. And, and I remember hearing this story that, you know, that this would take place, that, that in warfare they would just kind of strike the city at its power source or, or wherever it would be. And, and I'm not sure if it was a reference to the Second World War, all I remember is every time, and this was just as a, I was a young kid, the Cold War was still kind of going on and there were some issues there and we were very scared of Russians. And every time it seemed that the power went off, in my head this fear would strike me. The Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. You know, and, and I was almost convic- convinced of it that you know, this was the start of you know, some sort of nuclear or some kind of attack that would happen. And, and I remember just even as a kid, really having nothing to fear, but there being some fear. I couldn't imagine being these teenage kids boys, and all of a sudden, the Babylonians come, and they ravage through, they take whatever they want, there would have been killing, there would have been death, and they take these boys, and they take them 500 miles away to Babylon, away from their homeland, away from their families. Talk about confusion. Talk about wondering what in the world is going on. Their hopes, their dreams. Now they're prisoners of war. Everything is gone and is taken from them. And I'm sure that the thoughts and what were going through their minds. God, what are you doing? We thought our God was all powerful. We thought our God would protect us. How could this happen? I thought you were Almighty. Is this how it's all gonna end for us now that, that we're being taken away, we'll never see our family? God, have you now lost to this foreign God? Is Duke more powerful than you? Did you lose some kind of cosmic war? Where are you, God? And these young boys will see here, and it's very clear, through their upbringing, through their knowledge of the word of God, they settled this issue in their lives. And folks, this is an issue that we need to settle in our own lives even here today. We need to trust like they did in the sovereignty of God in all things, no matter what. You see, we see God all over this story. It's so clear. You see, looks can be deceiving. At times, it may seem in our lives that God is distant. God is far away. It's oftentimes in those times that he's actually closer than we could ever know. God is with us. He's not like that Bed Middler song from years ago, and now that dates me even more, where, where you know, it goes something like, from a distance, God is watching. No, wrong, bad theology, not right. He's near, and he's never even more near to the brokenhearted. God's word tells us. He comes near to the brokenhearted. He's with us. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us, but he's not far off. He's very much in control. He's very much aware of what you're going through, even here today. And like we see here, God is close. We're going to see in the story how God was there, ready to strengthen. And throughout this book, God was at work in incredible ways in the lives, supernatural ways. Things happened that could have happened, would happen no other way, except that God was at work. This was a difficult and a dark time for Israel, for their history, for these families, for these young boys. And yet God was near them. And God used them in a mighty way. And folks, we have to understand that, that God's promises can be activated and can be active in our own lives as well. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. This is from the Lord. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Our God, his eyes, he's, he's, he's Roman. He, he's got you know, the search mode on, and he's looking for hearts. He's looking for lives who are blameless, who don't want to compromise, who are ready to trust him. He's looking to give strong support. Do you need strong support today? Our God is available to give you strong support no matter what it is that you're facing. You see, this was all God's doing. God was allowing this to happen. He had warned them. But in the end, he's going to receive glory. It's about God's glory here. And in the Bible, we see clearly from cover to cover that God is in complete control, complete personal control. He's sovereign. His providential control over all things Here's some scripture references you may want to read later on this week and in your own personal study. You might want to write down these references. Genesis chapter 1.1, we see God created all things. God created the heavens and the earth. Boom, right right, right out of the gate we see it. But in Colossians 1, we see that it is God who is holding all things together. He's in charge of this universe. Nothing happens without his knowledge. Job 37.13 says he's in charge of the weather. I kind of think, you know, at times this weekend uh, in Saskatchewan that maybe he forgot to turn the thermostat up, you know, and, uh, but that's just, you know, I, but this is the thing we're driving out and, and there's drifting snow and, 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 you know, it was just kind of like, wow, we used to live here. You know, I mean, you become so wimpish after, no, it, that that was tough stuff they have to go through there. But I said to my father-in-law, who's a farmer for so many years, I said, this is so cold. But you know what, what What amazes me even more, I said, in a matter of months, you're going to see farmers in their tractors and their seed machines and all of that. And they're going to be roaring up and down these fields, and they're going to be soft, and they're going to be warm, and they're going to be moist, and they're going to plant crops, and they're going to grow, and they're going to harvest these bumper crops, and then it's going to get cold again. You know, but, but you just see this, and you think, our God is so... Mighty, so powerful. I mean, just, just think you can take this hard crustacean of earth, and next thing you know, there's, there's, there's food, there's cereal crops being produced to feed people all over the world. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and God's in charge of the weather. He knew it was going to snow this. When I got up this morning, I was like, woohoo, it's not snowing. They were wrong. And then about an hour later, oh, great, it's snowing again. You know, God's in charge of the weather, He's sovereign over that. Job, 20, Job 12, 23, it says, He makes nations great. And people think it's Donald Trump who can make America great again. No, 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 no. He makes nations great. That's God who does that. And he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. God's in charge of the nations. He knows who's going to be elected. Our next prime minister, our next premier, the next president. The next president of your strata association. God already knows who that is. He's in charge of things like that. Proverbs 16 reminds us that He's even control of the dice, the roll of the dice God controls. Some of you might say, "Well, well, the next time I play lotto, I uh, better—you know—that's kind of like the modern way of rolling the dice. You know, I better pray." No, you don't. Please don't do that. I mean, you're going to give an account for wasting God's money—money that we could have used on other things, on, on on that sort of a thing. You know, but but God controls the roll of the dice. Matthew 10 tells us that even when a sparrow falls from the sky, whether it's from a pellet BB or just falls and dies, whoever knows, God's aware of that. He goes on to say, even the hairs on our head, he's in complete control of that. He knows how many hairs are on your head this morning. That, that he just has this... Like, our God is so mighty, so powerful, so amazing. But one of the most amazing things we can rest on is in Romans 8, 28, as it says, and we know know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is an amazing verse, not for everyone. This verse is only for selected people for select people who have received Jesus Christ. This is an amazing verse for the believer in Christ. For the believer in Christ, for those who love God, who understand what we have been celebrating, what we've been doing here today, that Christ is in our lives. We've invited him to be a part of our lives. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He promises to use his sovereignty, his godness, only for our good, for his glory. He has a plan and a purpose in all things. And sometimes this can be a hard truth. You don't think it would have been a hard truth for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're heading off into captivity to realize that God is in complete control and that God has a good plan for their lives? And at times, it's going to take a lot of faith for us to believe that when we're in the midst of the chaos of life and the circumstances that we're struggling in. And yet, folks, this is an issue that needs to be settled in our lives in order to move on to the next step here. When, as we dig into God's power and strength being activated, it comes as we have determined that God is sovereign and we are going to trust him in all things. See, this truth can be of great comfort and encouragement as we're going through our lives. And yet, as I said, it can leave us very unsettled when we are or a loved one is battling or struggling through life issues or afflictions, hurts, illness, disease, even facing death. This is when we need to hold on and cling to the promises of of God. And those promises include his sovereign, providential care over every detail of our lives. This is an issue that they needed to settle. This is an issue we need to settle in our lives as well. And in the same way, that they experience God's blessing and God's power and God's provision for them, we can experience the same. God has promised to be active in our lives. Right? Faithful to the end. It's in these times when what's happening to us, around us, when it makes no sense to us, we can can't understand always what's going on, we must realize that his knowledge is so much greater. His knowledge, it, he's infinite. We're finite. And we can get angry at God. We can at times get angry and, and, and because he hasn't done certain things or he hasn't stopped other things, and we start thinking, could it be? Could it be? And we've got to think about this for a moment. Now get this. If we believe that God is big enough to stop things, to cause certain things to happen or not to happen that we're praying about? Could it be that there's a reason that he has not stopped it? He has not stopped something from happening because he has a reason far bigger in in, in his plan, in his directions, in his sovereignty for us. God is powerful. He can do all things, but... We just see just so dimly, we just see a little scope of this, of what he is planning for our lives. And God's promises is that his promise, his plan for us is good. And I saw this amazing reality in, in full view this past week in the passing of Charlotte's aunt. Yeah, she was 92 years old, lived a good life, a, a long life, a, a faithful life in so many ways. And on Monday, when we received the news, I was in Ontario and Charlotte was here and, and uh, she had gotten off the phone with her parents and, and Nate came running up the stairs and, and uh, Charlotte told him, said, Aunt Mary passed away about half an hour ago. And Nate's first re- reaction was, well, she's had an amazing half hour. She's just had an amazing last half hour in heaven. You see, it, it's so funny when... I think it even said in the obituary in the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, it said that she lost her two-and-a-half battle with cancer. She didn't lose. She didn't. She won. Her faith became her sight. There was victory. The sting of death was removed when she trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. The life that she is experiencing indescribable. Oh, there's books and there's movies that people watch and read and think, oh, this is what heaven is like. Go to the Word of God to find out what heaven is like. And you know what? You can hardly find a proper description because it's far more amazing than what we could ever, that our finite minds could ever understand or comprehend. What we do know about heaven is all the no mores. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more illness. There's not not going to be any more fear or financial worries or, or concerns in any of those matters. There's going to be no separation. There's going to be no death. And the best thing of all, we are in the presence of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And that is why it's so hard for authors in scripture to be able to paint a, a picture and an understanding of the realities and the glories of heaven because our, we're just, you know what, like we have this cat in our house and at times I'm convinced that it just, I mean, and Charlotte even says, she says it has a pea-sized brain. It's just brainless at times. It's cute, kind of. And I didn't say that. She's not here and hopefully she won't listen to this, but it's kind of cute in, in, in its own way. But it's brainless. Like it, at times, it's just like, what is it thinking? Well, it, they probably do just have small brains, and can't. You know, I mean, dogs are much smarter. I, I must say, you know. And uh... <laughs> however, you know what? We're kind of at times we have cat brains. We can't understand it all. We don't understand or know the glories of all that God would have for us. And this is why, with our small-sized brains, I'm not going to call you cat brains or anything like that, but with our small brains, we have to come to that point of resting in his sovereign goodness in our lives. These are issues we need to settle, that he is good, that he is at work, that there's a much bigger picture involved. And when Aunt Mary passed from this earth, we put so much stock and time and energy and effort into all of this thing here in this world. And it is so minute in comparison to eternity. And all that is waiting for us there. Oh, we need to be sending our treasures ahead. We need to be telling others so that we can see others that, that will one day experience the glories of heaven. As Tim challenged us last week, it's time to get serious about taking the gospel out. Tell others about the glorious gospel, but the glorious future that awaits for us. And I shared these verses from 2 Corinthians yesterday, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 17. It says, For this light, momentary affliction, that's how Paul is referring the junk of life that he is going through, the hardships, the troubles, the difficulties, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. In other words, get our eyes off of this stuff around here. Let's get it into, into eternity, what God would have for us. You know, sometimes they say that, that you know, oh, that person is, you know, just, you know, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. No, we've got to get more heavenly minded. And remember what we're going for, and the glories and the power and the victory, all that is awaiting for us. And look at it in light of that, for... The things that are seen are transient. He goes on to talk a little later about they're like tents. Tents are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul towers over. He powers over his enemies, his troubles, his trials. You think you had enemies? You have trials? You have difficulties? You have hardships? I mean, probably wouldn't compare most of us, what we've ever gone through to the apostle Paul. But he looks at these things in light of heaven. And he says, these are light. These are momentary things. He puts pain and afflictions and worry and trouble and his enemies all on one side of the scale. And on the other side of the scale, he puts the future glory that awaits, the reward and blessing on the other side of the scale. And he ends up calling the issues we're facing, our trials, our strife, the cares of this world, as light, as momentary, as a blip on the radar, as weightless is a good word that is used there. Weightless like fluff, like a snowflake, like a feather. That's on the one side of the scale. The things that are so massive right now, and we're so worn out, and we're so tired, and we, you know, you know are going through this, and we're wondering, when is this going to end? When is it going to happen? Light, momentary, snowflake. Well, snowflakes in Saskatchewan are in the last little while, so let's talk like a feather, feather light. You know, I mean, these things are here. But on the other side of the scale, it's like an elephant in comparison. No comparison. The eternal weight of glory. That word weight means heavy, massive, thick. Feather on one side, elephant on the other. This is why, folks, we have to get our eyes off the circumstances. Quit being so obsessed with the things that in the end aren't going to mean a thing. Quit our complaining, our belly aching, and whether it's just to us, in our own hearts, in our own spirit, and we need to get rejoicing, get our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to look from a, we keep looking through the physical perspective, and he wants us to look through the spiritual perspective, that he's at work, he's desiring to bring all things and do all things for our good for those that love him. We put so much into this time here on earth and it's a vapor. It's like a flower that appears for a season and then is gone. This is where it all begins. This is where the series begins in setting our hope and our hearts in the sovereignty of God. This is how we can stand with courage. Courage. Courage under fire, it's trusting in God's sovereignty in all things. Next week, we're going to go into the necessary part two of this, to, determining to live a no-compromise life no matter what. We want blessings, we want to know God's power, strength, and our victory. It's, it's determining to live, not perfectly, but progressively, a no-compromise life. And how we go about our daily lives and our living and our thinking. But folks, what we're talking about here today, it's not easy. It's going to be a step of faith. And this is why we need to open the word of God in our lives. And when we're struggling with these issues, we need to look up these verses even that I shared with you. And there's mountains of other verses available for us to look at God's power, his strength, and all that he has done for us and, and who he is and what he is like and his promises for his children. We need to open the book and we need to study God's word and know God's word. That's what we're going to see in the life of Daniel. They, they knew the truths of God's word. They were able to look at what they were facing with a different lens. And we need to seek God in prayer and come to him with broken hearts, with, with discouraged hearts, with heavy hearts, with confused hearts, and come to him in that way. But we also need one another. But we need others who will love, encourage. We need to open up our lives to, to one another to invite their encouragement and challenge from the word of God. This is where the believers, this is where small groups, this is where being accountable, in, walking with one another in accountability is so important so we can speak the truth to one another. And another great way that we do this is in worship as we declare. Sunday after Sunday as we come, just as this morning as we were declaring the truths of the word of God, there's something powerful when God's people do this and we're going to do that even here, this song that, this new song that we sung just before the message. we're going to sing it again. Sheon sent it to me just on um, Tuesday afternoon as I was waiting in security uh, at the Toronto airport and and I pressed play and I had my earbuds in and as this song was playing, you guys can come on up, we're going to get ready to go here. I just, Tears started to flow down my face as I just saw this light, these truths in, in, for what they are. The same God, he never fails. He will not fail you now. And I started thinking of those who are walking through trials, I just even thinking of just some of the issues and that, that that I can face on a personal level, that you face on a personal level, some of the bigger things going on in our world, some of the issues that some of you are facing, and our family is facing and, and I just started declaring these truths that yes I will I'm going to be faithful I want to f- seek God in the midst even though it's hard we, it's a step of faith and would you take those steps of faith in whatever you are facing today let's stand together as we sing this a song of worship maybe a declaration maybe a growing declaration as we go through this series of who God is he's mighty, he's sovereign but he's personal, he loves you desires to empower and strengthen you In all things, may we do this, sing. Perhaps it's by faith you're going to sing this. It's a hard step to be able to even sing and declare this. May you do so by faith.